0: money. It makes the game go round, especially here. Last summer, there were 526 transfer deals made by Premier League clubs to the tune of nearly 2 billion pounds. England's top flight, as per the global perception, was swimming in cash. But just like that, the bubble burst.
1: The FA, Premier League, EFL, Barclays FA Women's Super League and FA Women's Championship have collectively agreed to postpone the professional game in England until the 3rd of April at the earliest. The postponements include all matches in the Championship, League One and League Two, as well as Academy and Youth Team fixtures.
0: After 96 days, or to be more precise, 2,304 hours, the Premier League returns with Project Restart on its marks and set to go.
1: As soon as we had confirmation that clubs had unanimously agreed to contact training, this was the next logical step.
0: It has been a long, layered, uncertain and unprecedented process of navigating a global pandemic to get back on the pitch.
2: There will be a liability issue for employers, so I'm not sure how Premier League clubs are going to get around it.
0: I'm Melissa Reddy and over this three-part series, we'll be exploring the hurdles, the adjustments and analysing every facet behind the resumption of England's top flight, as well as its future with expert voices from around the game. This is the return of the Premier League exclusively on Football Ramble Daily. Episode 3 Money, Neutral Venues and Football's Future. The coronavirus enforced suspension of football quickly and ruthlessly exposed just how little cash flow there is in the division. It flagged that clubs were spending 64% of their income on wages, parting with twice as much as Bundesliga sides on salaries and 50% more than those in La Liga. With all the revenue abruptly stopping, the picture was not a pretty one. Football lives a hand-to-mouth existence, as Dr. Rob Wilson explains.
2: I think it's really tested the model and, and shown the world how vulnerable the, the Premier League model is. Despite what we hear around financial fair play, despite what we hear around Broadcast rights revenue increases and sponsorship increases and commercial revenue increases it is still a very vulnerable model because too much money goes out of the game. Perhaps this is the shot in the arm that football needs to, to build up some cash reserves in the future to, to respond to downturns in trade. And I'm not saying for one minute that they should have planned for a global pandemic, they just didn't plan for anything.
0: The income from broadcasting deals accounts for around 60% of Premier League club's turnover. So it is impossible to talk about Project Restart without discussing the 762 million pounds worth of reasons that the resumption was necessary. That would have been the head spinning total broadcasting rebate due if the season was canceled. Even with games behind closed doors, there will still be huge losses in TV money Richard Masters the Premier League's chief executive explained this to the media on May 11th the only certainty at that point was there would be big broadcasting losses regardless of a solution
2: we were able to update clubs today on our situation with broadcasters that is obviously confidential whatever happens there are going to be significant there's going to be significant loss of revenue for clubs um, that is inevitable. Um, we were able to paint a picture today for clubs about what would happen in various scenarios, so playing out the season, not playing out the season.
0: Nothing too difficult, then. Rob Wilson, who's also the head of Department of Finance, Accounting and Business Systems at Sheffield Hallam University, analyses the broadcast landscape with games returning.
2: I think that the reality is that Project Restart is the only viable opportunity particularly for the premier league to uh, to maintain its financial position you need to remember that if the if the premier league had been curtailed then uh, the big broadcasters particularly b sky BT sport would have been uh, would have need to reclaim somewhere in the region of 750 million pounds that would have been extraordinarily problematic for teams to to balance their their budgets for this year and whilst the, of course we'll now lose some matchday income, they can still meet the needs of their sponsors and commercial partners. Uh, and of course, all that broadcast money is so essential for them to continue trading and pay all their player wages. So whilst behind closed doors, of course, isn't ideal for for, for everyday football fans, regardless of the pandemic, I think it's absolutely in the best interests of, of the league itself and the, and the member clubs.
0: Reports suggest Sky have delayed the payment of rebates clubs would have owed under Project Restart and the broadcasters have been quite amenable in general. Rob believes this could be a smart, long-term play from them.
2: There are a number of things at play here, aren't there? So not least the fact that B uh, and BT Sport will be very, very keenly looking at the next iteration of the TV broadcast, right? So I think you know, politically um, it's smart for, for both sides, for the Premier League and for B and uh, BT Sport to work together on a solution here removing the rebate for for the time being will certainly help with club cash flow and i think you know let's face it will probably give them a little bit of leverage as a broadcaster in the next few years to try and renegotiate and renew those those broadcast rights packages and what we need to remember in in the grand scheme of things there while a number of other broadcasters are quite interested in Premier League rights. Of course, Amazon have come into uh, into that uh, setup this year. They'll be looking very keenly at what's going on right now to try and gain some additional TV rights in the future. So I think this move by Sky actually strengthens their hand somewhat when they come up for renegotiation in the future.
0: The government were determined to have a sizeable portion of games under Project Restart available via a free-to-air option. The BBC and Amazon Prime have four matches each that fall under that category. 25 matches on Sky will be free to air.
2: It's an interesting proposition, isn't it? I think it's the first time that we will ever have seen a Premier League game broadcast live on terrestrial television since the inception in 1992. Of course, that inception was all designed about around going behind a paywall and generating subscriber numbers. But football in general is part and parcel of the fabric of society, very much a mirror of what is going on in the world, particularly in the UK and in English professional football in in particular. The the move onto the BBC is is a really good one. Uh, I think it will heap some pressure on the government uh, more long term uh, to try and move some some more football uh, onto free-to-air because obviously you will see consumption rates increase. What I wouldn't be surprised to see, though, is whether... The likes of BT Sport and uh, and Sky uh, enabling uh, some digital TV subscribers that don't buy their packages to actually watch some of those games um, as if they were free to air. We saw it of course didn't we with the uh, with the World Cup cricket final uh, where England were playing where well, that was broadcast on Channel 4 I think. That of course increases the visibility of the of the product and actually entices more people to ultimately then go and buy the Sky TV subscription and I think now, if I'm right in saying uh, that Amazon are allowing uh, the games that they've got uh, to be available uh, through their uh, Amazon Prime service uh, for anybody to tune in as long as they've got an Amazon account, so I think what we'll see is is more free to air than we're perhaps expecting, uh, and I think that's a really, really important move for the for the brand of football in general, uh, and to make sure that that Premier League football continues to be uh, showcased as, as you know almost the pinnacle of of what we consume in terms of sporting contests on television.
0: So that's the finance sorted in theory something else that still needed to be worked out was the disagreements around neutral venues we'll get into that after the break While Project Restart was finding the best possible solution for broadcasting, another highly emotive subject needed to be addressed – Neutral Venues. The police chief in charge of football in England, Mark Roberts, was the leading advocate of Premier League clubs not playing their remaining games of the season, home and away, as usual. Does anyone seriously think that you wouldn't get a significant number of supporters turning up outside the ground? He asked. We need to be realistic. It would happen, and there's no point letting it and then complaining when a lot more people get ill. We have to reduce the threat. That unhelpful language of fear coloured the talk. On May 11th, Richard Masters admitted that clubs were pushing to play matches at their own stadia, as in the Bundesliga and La Liga. But the police were still steely on neutral venues.
2: It's about creating as little risk as possible in relation to fans uh, stand, coming to attend matches outside in a behind closed doors environment. Uh, and, and obviously uh, um, from, from the authorities' perspective, some authorities, they think that playing those matches at approved stadia, not at home venues, is the safest way of doing it.
0: As it stands, Premier League clubs will use their own stadia, with neutral venues only a contingency plan if there are any issues during Project Restart. Owen West, an experienced ex-match commander, was consistent in his slating off the framing of supporters by Mark Roberts and other police officers. He argued their position on neutral venues was not backed by evidence. Here, Owen, also a recently retired police chief superintendent, describes why it was a damaging and unnecessary episode.
1: So, reflecting on the neutral venue saga, uh, what have we learned about the relationship between fans, the industry and the police? Well, firstly, what a missed opportunity. Resuming football in the midst of an unprecedented pandemic, represented an opportunity to involve and engage fans in a discussion about how best to get our national game back and the role that fans would have played in those plans because, of course, fans have day jobs. They work in the NHS, they work in the care services, they work in the hygiene sector. They represent all manner of expertise that could have been called on to be part of the resumption. But instead, I'm afraid to say that fans were ignored. And what an opportunity also to engage positively and constructively, to ask for the support of fans in sticking to the COVID regulations and staying away from their local grounds and showing some respect and trust that they would. But instead, we had the same tired old narrative rolled out, fans as a public order threat, a picture painted of fans gathering en masse outside grounds, even a picture painted that fans might gather outside of training grounds. All of it unevidenced, all of it insulting to fans, all of it entirely unnecessary. But it got worse. We heard that those in football needed a stark reminder of the dangers of the virus. And this despite the fact that fans are not other. We live with it as everybody else does. They've lost loved ones to the virus. They work in the essential services. Nobody needed a stark reminder. Nobody needed to be told to get a grip. It was a tone seemingly designed to divide, not unite the whole of football in an entirely new era for the game. And for me, the issue, the only issue, is about how to deal with the pandemic in public health terms. It's about how to resume football in a safe way but that was lost in the language and the tone of potential disorder and the unevidenced assertion that the emergency services would be overwhelmed were matches to be played anywhere other than neutral venues and we learnt also that neutral venues didn't have an answer to the reality of fan culture we knew that when liverpool win the championship the whole of the red side of that city will celebrate in their tens of thousands in houses in parks out in the streets and indeed if they maintain social distancing the virus regulations allow them to do just that same in leeds same in many other towns and cities where clubs secure a promotion the neutral venues idea was so weak on detail it was only ever a knee-jerk reaction based on fear and the language of threat that constantly looked for, but never found a coherent rationale. And whilst it was being kept alive and reported on, whilst fans were being characterised as being a public order threat, it did further damage the police fan relationship. It was damaging and it was distracting to the priority of fighting a virus. So looking to the future uh, in the wake of the killing of Mr. George Floyd in America. There is a lot of talk about police reform in America and here in the UK and for me the policing of football, policing of fans and of crowds is a subject crying out for a fresh look. There is an opportunity now for a progressive new type of policing in football. I hope we take it.
0: We first track back to the start of football suspension in England. We then deconstructed the process of how the Premier League's return looks at present. But what about the future? The financial effects of coronavirus will reshape the game in some way. It has to. And the first opportunity to see the scale of its impact will be the summer transfer window. Here's Rob again with his prediction of football's financial landscape.
2: So I think there'll be quite a significant depression actually in both the transfer market and Uh, With player wages, so any player that's going in to renegotiate contracts over the next couple of months, I think will be facing much more challenging circumstances from their employer. Because whilst there is a huge amount of income under threat right now, there is also then the sustained reduction in revenue that we might see over the next two, if not three or four seasons because of the outcome of what what we've had to live with throughout the year so far and i think there's two two points i'd probably like to make on the the whole idea of transfer business firstly of course there is less revenue in the system potentially and and indeed when clubs go into renegotiate sponsorship packages and commercial endorsements you would imagine that the companies that they're now fishing for those uh, endorsements to come from are also facing similar issues so so i would expect to see a slight reduction uh, in both the value of sponsorship and commercial activity and also the number of companies that are prepared to to engage in that sort of activity because they themselves don't have uh, sufficient resources to do it. That will push down uh, the revenue profile of the clubs involved and therefore naturally have an impact on what they're able to pay for uh, for some of those transfer fees. The other side of that particular coin, if you pardon the pun, though, is also the impact that it has on society more generally. So football is often looked at as this relatively vulgar um, sport that it has you know, millions, if not billions of pounds worth of revenue that a certain Small stakeholders, and I'm talking about players and agents here, uh, suck all of that money out of the system and and they're vilified for doing so, which is why I think we saw Matt Hancock take some relatively cheap shots at footballers early on in the pandemic about paying their way Um, and football clubs furloughing staff. So I think the the cultural and political damage that a club would do to its own brand through paying uh, exceptional transfer fees, 80, 90, 100 million pounds, uh, as an example would be looked upon so poorly that actually that could damage their brand uh, more long term. And whilst the fans of that particular club might be excited for seeing that transfer transfer happen, I think the bigger impact that it would have in the marketplace on uh, further transfer deals that it might do or uh, or further sponsorship and, in, uh, and commercial endorsements or, or looking at those sponsors that might want to sponsor that particular football club would be diminished. So there's a, very bal- there's a very fine balancing act, I think, to make for clubs to do their transfer business, but at a level that's acceptable, both within the constraints of their financial position, but also the political impact that that might have to them as brand.
0: There has been the hope that coronavirus will force football into a cultural reset that the game will become more sustainable and collaborative, that the Premier League will create a greater flow of money to funnel down the pyramid and will be better protected from future suspensions. ESPN's Mark Ogden feels it is the perfect chance for these changes.
2: Football had an opportunity here, I think, to to straighten itself out in that sense, in, in terms of fairness and, and financial equality, but it hasn't done that. And I, I think once, I do worry that once this passes, that... That'll be forgotten about. There'll be no sense of doing it again. So, this is a great opportunity for football. You know, you could never plan for a pandemic and have regulations in place, but this should be now the case. There should be from now on some sort of criteria in the the Premier League charts or the football charts as to what happens if a season is cut short on 20 games, or 25 games, or 30 games to make sure that we're not kind of almost held hostage against the financial and you know legal implications of, of, of stopping stopping leagues midway through.
0: Will there be a reset or will the rich just get richer? Rob presents what he predicts will happen and what he'd like to happen moving forward.
2: Yeah, I'm going to give you two answers to this question. The, the, reality, the, the realistic answer and my, uh, and my hope, actually. I think that realistically, what we'll see um, is clubs continue to get bigger uh, in certain instances. They will always look at becoming the survival of the fittest in this winner-takes-all scenario that ge- generates the the Premier League, the UEFA Champions League, for example. That said, I think there was uh, certainly at the outset of this pandemic an awful lot of discussion right the way up and down the system and outside it that football needed to be uh, fairer, that this was a unique opportunity for, for the whole football pyramid to press the reset button and to redistribute some of their revenues in a much more uh, a much more fair and equitable way. I think the Premier League has seen uh, a bit of pressure on them as a, as a business to... to, to to distribute some of its money more fairly and they will come out and say, well, we distribute you know, five or six or 7%, whatever it is uh, to our partner clubs in the English football league. But I think the reality is it needs to be more than that. Uh, I would like to see an, an abolition of parachute payments and reusing that money to stimulate uh, financial progress at a number of the, of the football league clubs. But obviously that would take um, a little bit of time. Uh, and you know, Morally and ethically, I think football can look after itself in a much more effective way and it can look at things like uh, collective bargaining around things like sponsorship and commercial endorsements, more fairness in the distribution of those uh, those monies. In fact, more fairness of the distribution of broadcasting money. So some of the smaller teams get um, get some of those um, smaller teams, get some of that revenue. Um, but I'll come back to it. I think the reality is that once this is all blown over, uh, the football big boys will continue to try and dominate and, and they will try and soak up more, more and more of that cash as we've seen uh, over the last um, over the last five, six, seven years where they've been, been trying to monopolise the competition.
0: It feels surreal to be readying for Premier League games, to be excited about it, to know that it will be so different while appreciating that it quite simply has to be. Matches behind closed doors are better than no matches at all. Football, as we'll have it, will be better than football with a mass loss of jobs and clubs. The process to resuming the season, as we've showcased throughout this series, has been a taxing one during an unprecedented crisis. From players being vilified by the government, to hesitations around returning to training and wondering if the season could ever be played out, we have our fixture list and the countdown is on. It's imperfect and not everyone will be wholly on board with the solution, but it is the least worst one. It's historic to be covering football during the pandemic and while it will be unusual, I'm enthusiastic about being back in a press box, social distancing and all. I'm ready for my temperature check and to tap away about match scenarios. From tomorrow, you'll be able to hear daily episodes of the Football Ramble to celebrate the Premier League's return. We'll be keeping you up to date with all the latest news from England's top flight and around Europe, with shows featuring a revolving selection of hosts from your favourite football ramble daily shows every Monday to Friday.
1: Well, the best word I can say, but uh, will describe this
2: was boom. <laughs> <laughs> the
0: return of the Premier League. Is a Stakhanoff production. Our producer is Charlie Morgan. Sound design and mixing is by Tom Wally. The executive producers are John Teague and Luke Aaron Moore. Our theme music is The Ground After A Summer Rain by At The End Of Time's Nothing. Additional music comes from Power Druid, Brendan Muller, Dens and Pobycat. All music comes courtesy of Epidemic Sound. My name is Melissa Reddy. Thank you for listening.